Welcome to the Conquer Your Battlefield podcast, where we come together to discuss some of the more significant struggles and metaphorical battlefields that we've faced along our journeys and share some insight on how we've conquered them. I'm JD McGibney, and today I'll be chatting with a guitar virtuoso, a true master of her craft, versatile in her style, proficient in her music theory, and even an airplane pilot on the side. The amazing and wonderful Gretchen Men. How are you doing today, Gretchen? Oh, what a sweet. I'm better after that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to hear you're doing good. Oh, we have a guest. (laughs) Yes, Frances likes to, she thinks all interviews are about her. I mean, and what interview hasn't benefited from the addition of a cat, right? I mean, that's true. I mean, she's very elegant, so makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today we're going to be talking about coping mechanisms. For those who are not familiar with the term, Coping mechanisms are the strategies people often use in the face of stress and or trauma to help manage painful or difficult emotions. Coping mechanisms can help people adjust to stressful events while helping them maintain their emotional well-being. It should be pointed out that coping mechanisms are different than defense mechanisms. Coping mechanisms tend to be conscious efforts and actions individuals take in order to manage their emotional reactions to external situations, whereas defense mechanisms tend to be unconscious uh, knee-jerk reactions. Healthy coping mechanisms can come in a variety of forms, such as exercising, playing sports, using humor to de-escalate a situation, or even simply talking about a stressful event and your feelings with a supportive person. Today, Gretchen and I are going to be talking about using music as a coping mechanism. So Gretchen, we were talking prior to this conversation right now, and you had mentioned that when you wrote your album, Abandon All Hope, that you happened to also be going through a very dark period. How do you feel that working on the album helped you through that rough patch? Such a um, a great question, such an interesting topic. I'm I'm so excited to chat with you about this because I think it's something that um, is so important, at least has been so important for me. I am very lucky in that I was blessed with good brain chemistry for the most part. And so the struggles that I have um, are, are real, but, um, this particularly dark time was a result of, um, well, a, a lot of loss going on. Um, most notably, my my best friend, who was like a sister to me, uh, died. Oops, and so, so that was um, a year of being with her at the hospital every day, of thinking she was going to be okay, and then taking a bad turn. And that was also happening when, like, the one big relationship of my life was also ending. Um, and so it was just a whole host of things all at once. And meanwhile, I'm trying to work on this album, this album whose concept had come to me, uh, really through somebody else suggesting it. Michael Molenda, who is then editor of guitar player magazine had heard my first album and imagined that maybe I would be interested in doing something a little bit more conceptual. And he was absolutely right. I had actually been thinking about the idea of, combining my love of literature with instrumental music and doing something that was a concept album. But when he came to me with the idea of Dante's Inferno, I was like, oh my God, this is so much cooler than what I had been (laughs) considering doing, sign me up. So initially what was a big challenge for me, which is even though it's like, we all have shadow sides, right? We all have struggles and dark sides or morbid curiosities or whatever. Like I said, my my natural disposition is to pretty much wake up happy unless there's a, a reason not to be. Um, on the flip side, that left me ill-equipped for kind of dealing with some 
very real prolonged struggle, something that's, you know, losing your best friend is not something that you shake off in a day or a week. It's, and, it, it's a, and it sounded like it was like a, a prolonged experience. It wasn't just like overnight. So like you saw the gradual, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Progress. It was leukemia, a Ooh, bone marrow so transplant, a successful bone marrow transplant, and then a relapse because of some freak mutation thing. Five years later, another, I mean, it was this, it was a period of quite a few years. Um, so for me, initially tapping into some of the darkness that I think was absolutely necessary to get across something as dark as a journey through the underworld of Dante was already something that was interesting and challenging to me. And I certainly wouldn't have planned it this way. Nobody chooses to go through, you know, that kind of loss and grief. Um, but I specifically remember uh, working on a particular piece at, at the time when Maggie was, when we got the news that she wasn't going to get better. And having this feeling that was just, it, it felt, the best way I can describe it is that, like, I couldn't contain it. Like, the feeling was bigger than my my personal, like, vessel could contain. And I felt like I just... I, I didn't know what to do. It's like you're walking around with this sense of aimlessness and desperation. And I sat down and I, I ended up just writing the melody for, for a tune, uh, a, a track on the album called Weights. And in a lot of ways it came out, at least for me, one of the more, one of the most sincere and honest pieces. It's not guitar centric, so it's not one that gets a lot of love from guitar players. But the emotion of it was um, was so very sincere, and and it occurred to me as I was kind of going through this that the act of composing and act of trying to channel what I was experiencing into music, how very important I think that can be for for anybody, whether it's music or anything creative, that there's something about art that gives dignity to the most horrible feelings and gives a sense of universality and meaning and connection in a time that's very easy to feel completely isolated. Um, and so I tried to channel the dark time I was feeling into having my music be as honest as possible. And the two helped each other. And it definitely sounds like the way you're describing the experience, it sounds like you were successful on that. And like, you know, you were describing the feeling of just like you weren't able to contain what you were feeling on the inside. It's like you had to let it out. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing to, to point out because there are a lot of people. It, it sounds like you're very open with expressing yourself and just like talking to you right now, you seem very verbal and like you, you have no issues like really like conveying how you're feeling. Um, you know, do you feel that you normally uh, use music as part of your normal like venting and like uh, expressive habits? Or do you feel that this like a, a track like this, like specifically stands out or this album stands out because you felt like you couldn't just like it had to you had to give these negative feelings a a vessel that's such a good question um yeah i think that on one hand i'm comfortable expressing myself 
verbally, Uh, especially when it's emotions that are kind of more in the middle of my spectrum. You know, if I'm mildly frustrated, I'm not somebody who's just going to, I mean, unless it's really not a big deal. I'm somebody like, I'll be straight with people and be like, oh, that kind of sucked, but I won't be like super upset, right? Um, On the other hand, what I found is that the extremes of emotion, I think I tend to, to pull in a little bit on either side. On one hand, I think I try not to be ostentatious with the positive because I'm, I recognize how many people are really, really struggling. And I recognize what an incredible gift it is. One to have had, you know, the family I've had to be, to, to be born when and where I was born. You know, I've, it's very easy for us all to focus on the things that we wish were better with us. And maybe that's a good thing to, to kind of, contribute to your desire to learn and grow. But sometimes it's important to stop and and feel lucky, you know, to stop and really recognize how lucky you are. Now, having said that, I realize that expressing that too enthusiastically or too freely or too frequently can make other people feel bad. And so I think sometimes I tend to be a little bit more clamped down on that because I don't want it to evoke some sort of sense of divide with other people who maybe aren't having such a great day or week or year or something like that. Um, And then on the flip side is that frequently, um, I think that the super dark emotions, the super deep struggles, I'm less, it's less part of my identity to be somebody who's going through a tough time and much more part of my identity to be the person my friends call you know, if they're going through a tough time to have the role reversed, I realized was a really uncomfortable thing for me. And I was bad at reaching out to people. I was really bad. I kind of, it surprised me. And I think it surprised people who knew me because they thought of me as so expressive that I kind of shut down. Um, and all I can say is, I guess you just don't know until you're there, how you're going to react to something. And so I felt like it, um, the, the process of composing gave me an outlet that um, that I felt like wasn't a burden on people who were kind of dealing with their own struggles. Like for me to call and just cry at somebody for hours because I was sad about what was going on with me just like wasn't something I could even get my mind around doing. Um, and so I felt like it gave me an outlet where I could I could perseverate as long as I needed it to, you know, and I and I wasn't exhausting a friend. I wasn't taxing a relationship. Well, that's it's an interesting point that you're you're bringing up. Um, the the idea of being or, or feeling that reaching out, uh, you know, during a period of you know struggle or a, a period of like where you feel like you just you know you need uh, you need like a little bit extra support or something. You feel like you might be a burden to someone. I, I think that's a, that is a common feeling that a lot of people have, uh, especially during you know, times of grief or times of sadness, or if we're people who are struggling with something, whether it's loss, whether it's dealing with depression, anxiety, they're just, they're, they have something that they're, they're struggling with. Um, uh, I think it's, you know, having this conversation or having these kind of, um, you know, these kind of conversations, like with like the, the podcast in general, it's pointing out, it's like, everyone has these moments. So it's, it's okay to, you know, feel like that. And, you know, trying to encourage each other it's like we don't we're not actually a burden when we are feeling that grief 
Um, mm. That being said, you know, I, I think you gravitating naturally to a healthy coping mechanism is also very, uh, you know, very, you know, it's something that stands out as, as a positive, you know, um, inspiring thing because, you know, there are a lot of people who deal with grief there uh, or loss and they turn to say like substances, they turn to like alcohol or drugs and whatnot. And they kind of just use that to forget what happened or to numb that feeling. Whereas you were very aware that you had those feelings and it sounds like you allowed yourself to feel them, but you gave them an avenue to ex be expressed in a way that was positive and creative. And for me personally, like when I'm writing, it helps me put things into perspective and it takes something that is uh, emotional and not necessarily a logical feeling and puts it into something that makes sense and has like a set of rules. So this way I can analyze it. So this way it does make sense. And it sounds like that might be a very similar uh, process to what you have. Am I, am I getting close to that or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that it's so well said because there is, well, I mean, everybody's process is different. Mm -hmm. My compositional process to me, it's, I think composing is probably my favorite thing to do. Um, and, and it's because I have a background in theory and that's where I got like, um, my degree, mm -hmm. um, but also love guitar, love different genres and music. And I feel like I'm constantly a student of all of it. For me, the act of composing is the act of like bringing together like so many different parts of my brain. And any anybody who's probably listening to this probably has a similar fascination to clearly what you do in terms of like music in the brain. So if there's a book on music in the brain, if I haven't read it, it's on my list to read. <laughs> so um, in terms of, uh, how many different areas it engages, you know, being able to have, say, an incredibly overwhelming emotion and then to say, OK, here's this emotion. How do I now take this part of my brain that's going to say, how does this sound in music? And then to say, let me work out the counterpoint here. You know, uh, let me make sure this harmony, you know, may maybe this maybe this place is too predictable. Maybe the, the struggle is going to I want something that sounds more Mahler like. Let me grab my Mahler score. And so it's this wonderful balance of. A sincerity with which you're confronting and approaching an emotion an outlet for it and just enough distraction by having to do the problem solving that at least is part for me of the compositional process that allows me to take a step back from the emotion, not to the point that it's being denied or not felt, but so that it doesn't feel like a tidal wave that's crushing you just more like okay okay i'm it just for some for some reason for me it helped it become. Uh, manageable and that somehow I was able to integrate it into what I was doing. It's like, it, it's like, um, it's like controlled chaos or it's like putting together mm -hmm. a puzzle. It's like one of those jigsaw puzzles that has like 3000 pieces. You just pour it out <laughs> and you have, it's, it's chaos when you look at it cause you don't know where everything goes, but the, you know that there's a set of rules that will help you put everything together. So it's like, you know, at the mm -hmm. very end, everything will work out, but you have to sift through everything. So it's like you get that emotional release and you have that freedom, but at the same time, you have that safety net of knowing that everything's going to be okay when you're done. And like, you're going to have something that you're proud of. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that the human mind, I was actually just talking with the girls in my band about this, about something totally different about, you know, the Led Zeppelin being played backwards and, you know, basically <laughs> that, that our brains want to, 
see and recognize patterns so desperately. And that's why when somebody tells us what, what we see or what we hear, that's what we do. Like, have you seen that auditory illusion of like brainstorm and green needle? It's like this white noise thing and whatever word you're reading is absolutely what you hear. It's the craziest thing. I, I, I don't think I've seen what those two words, but I have seen slash heard uh, something similar where it's just like, it does that, yeah. you know, like, that yeah. it's it's crazy like like the the things that like the human brain will do and like how it'll like process things and like you said like we definitely want to yeah. like we want patterns you know we want things to make sense that's why we see uh you know faces in clouds if we're looking at the clouds like oh that looks exactly. like a fish it's like we want right. to put things together so this way like our natural anxiety is like you know we, we don't feel like we have that sense of like the unknown and exactly think, and oh sorry, sorry. Uh, i was just gonna say well, I think <laughs> it's this delay you go (laughs) i was gonna say um i think it's fascinating that like we like when when it comes to music we have certain things that we enjoy so like the human ear loves listening to like major third harmonies it just it makes us feel all giddy and happy and cheerful on the inside so like there are third harmonies everywhere from like vocal harmonies guitar harmonies you know like from you know when we first picked up like rocks and started like hitting stuff to like right now when we have like electronic you know instruments like that's that's just a thing that has been uh around and i I still think that it's it's cool that like we can have something uh and still find so many new and different ways to do that same thing over and over again but still find ways for each of us to have our own voice and have our own our own expression yeah Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, oh, all I was gonna—I was gonna say because I felt like I didn't fully complete my 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 thought process as to why I brought up the whole thing with the auditory illusions and stuff—is I think that for me that 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 process of like composing what it does is it allows you to have that little hit of dopamine that you have mm-hmm. when you're like ah order ah yes this is this is the feeling I was feeling here's what I was kind of trying to do and so there's this sense of being able to turn something that feels terrible into something that sounds lovely, you know, to you or intentional or what, whatever. And, and so you end up kind of being able to get something good that our brains inherently like thirst. That for. we want. Um, yes. Exactly. Have you, do you, when you were writing uh, uh, Abandon All Hope, do you feel that like when you were writing everything during this this really difficult time that your composition overall uh, tended to lean away from what you normally did? Besides that one track where you said it got a little bit more like, uh, I guess like orchestral, was that what it, it wasn't guitar centric? Do you feel like the entire album kind of followed suit in that where you were like uh, writing a little bit more dark or you weren't writing the same kind of melodies or harmonies? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. Hope is my second album, so I feel like um, that's still that's still kind of early in somebody's creative development, right? And though I know I'd always loved, I, well, I guess I hadn't intended not to have a singer in my band, but you know, through just uh, the way things work out, and and the fact that I always loved instrumental music especially things with kind of compositional leanings like like Steve Morris or Frank Zappa or whatever. Um, and, and I've always listened to, well, I mean, studying music in school, like you listen to Bach and Mozart and Stravinsky and Mahler and Beethoven, you know. So 
I, I, I love the instrumental music allows for so much imagination and so much involvement. And, and it's totally other than what our tastes and our upbringing maybe put into our ears from an early age. It's it's kind of equal opportunity music, right? Like you don't have to understand lyrics like there's no there's there's that room for people to to engage in whatever their natural language is. There's no uh, there's no language barrier because everyone right. in some exactly. way, shape yes. or form understands music even if you have someone who doesn't you know know music theory or doesn't read sheet music you can you can have someone listen to music and go oh i like this or no i don't like this and like they're able to relate (laughs) exactly um and so when when i knew i was going to be doing this concept album it got me studying a lot you know you think like i'm going to tackle like perhaps the most important piece of epic poetry in the Italian language. Like, let me, let me, let me try not to totally ruin it. And probably one of the most influential works of literature in like all of like metal dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. So I did, I did a lot of studying everything from, uh, well, I already, I've always loved Stravinsky. um, But yeah, I mean, Riot of Spring is like my favorite classical piece. Me too. Right of string oh, wow. to me is like, that's, that's early metal. Like, it, I'm sorry, dance of the adolescence. That is metal. Oh my God. Um, totally. Yeah. Uh, and everything from that to like Pink Floyd and Roger Waters and um, Kate Bush, you know, just tried to listen to as many different, not necessarily guitar pieces as possible and realized that, um, I, that, I wanted it to push me outside of my comfort zone and I and I wanted to grow as a composer, as a guitar player, not just in the process of doing the album, but before even starting it. So I took my time to do it. And uh, boy, you do learn a lot. Anybody who's ever creatively stuck, I swear, just write for a concept and you will find rooms of your <laughs> creative mansion that you didn't know existed. I mean, for me, even just like, the perfect example is the the second track on it, Limbo. How do you write something that sounds that evokes the very thing that Western music is based not around, right? So if if Western music is about tension and release, if if you can define, if you can reduce Western music from uh, dominant to tonic, right, from five to one. How do you write a piece of music that sounds like a satisfying piece of music, but never and not resolves. do that? Right now, there are plenty of people, super modern guys. You know, you've got John Cage, who you know decades ago was doing stuff. But how do I do it in a way that's honest to me? Because I'm sorry, I'm not going to write four minutes and thirty three seconds of limbo <laughs> or silence or whatever. You know, it's I needed it to still be something that I stood behind. Um, artistically, that, that I still felt like sounded like something that I wanted to to put out there to the world. And you're and you're, you're basically uh, you're you're exercising and working out your your creative muscles. It's like the same thing as if someone were to go mm-hmm. to the gym and just like work out and like build up their muscles. You're literally just going, oh, what can I do to like build up this repertoire? And something like that too, I think, yeah. uh, is good emotionally because you're giving yourself more tools to uh, express yourself during these difficult times so you have a stronger coping mechanism right exactly exactly and i think there's there's also a lot to be said for having so my mom's a psychologist um for whatever that might be necessary to to say as a foundation here but i know that one of the things that a lot of psychology teaches us 
is that putting a name to a feeling that in and of itself can be helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that doing nothing more than saying, I'm feeling ashamed of myself because I didn't play as well as I wanted to, or I'm feeling uh, incompetent, or I'm feeling, you know, that even the act of, of doing that can mean a lot. So I think that just as you said, flexing those creative muscles and saying like, how do I do limbo? You know, what does that sound like? And, and experimenting there, problem solving, there's something that is such a, a fun and interesting challenge about doing whatever that is. So I'm I'm such a huge proponent for people writing to a concept because it's like, you don't have to be inspired. The concept tells you what to do. Yeah, and then it's also, like you said, uh, it, put, it brings you out of your, your comfort zone. It gives you a new challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and if I'm not mistaken, you started, uh, music really early on, right? Like when you were like a wee little less, right? uh, like when you were a child, um, not, well, not guitar. I took, I took the requisite piano lessons that a lot of kids have to take when they're like five. And I remember having a book with stickers in it, you know, the best uh, kind of book. <laughs> exactly. I was all about the stickers. I didn't really care about playing. I was honestly, I was such a normal kid. I just wanted to run around and play soccer and stuff like that. I did not want to sit still and practice. I played flute. That was the first instrument I played with any degree of seriousness. I played that for about two or three years, starting when I was like 10. Um, but then I got into the guitar when I was a teenager, like a lot of people. Um, so, but I fell in love quickly. Like I, I kind of was all in from early on from day one it's like you heard like this one song and you're like i want to do that that's exactly what happened is that what happened for you that's literally what happened what song was it for you you tell me first uh nativity in black by black sabbath oh i heard the See, guitar Cliffs of dover by eric johnson that's a good one too yeah uh, i yeah. actually i was my dad i can tell you the exact moment uh tell me i was in high school uh, my dad had picked me up because I had stayed after uh, for something. I don't remember what. It was not important. I just remember it was a cloudy, kind of drizzly day. We're driving home and not really paying attention. The song comes on the radio. And it's still, you know, the bass intro. Uh, it was the Primus cover of this where they had Ozzy as the guest vocalist. So it's okay. Les Claypool just like shredding on the bass. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then, you know, it starts coming in with the main riff. And then the guitar just kicks in. And it had my attention like right off the bat. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? And we pull into the driveway and the song ends just as like we park. My dad turns off the car and I look at him and I'm like, dad, I want a guitar. And from then on, basically just haven't put down the instrument. Oh, how cool. Yeah. What a great story. <laughs> it was very passionate at that moment. If you couldn't tell. And what was it about the song that made you have to pick up the guitar? I had never heard anything like that for the most part. Cause for the majority of my childhood, my mother controlled the radio and she listens to a lot of like bubblegum pop and like the Beach Boys. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not a Leslie Gore fan. I can tell you that. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> nothing ever really like caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the very few times that my dad controlled the radio, I was like, oh, this is cool. I can dig this. But mm-hmm. there was just something behind the driving power and the crunch and the attitude of the song that kind of just. It was like listening to that gave me permission to feel the intense feelings that I had started feeling as as a child. Because when I was a teenager, I started developing what I would later identify as anxiety. And I didn't really have a place to go because I didn't know what the hell I was feeling. I was just like, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm angsty. You know, I don't know how to 
communicate properly. So hearing music like that, I was like, oh, I feel all this energy being released. And like afterwards, it felt really good. And I was like, I want to do that. So I have control over like this feeling that I'm feeling right now. Mm. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder, there must be, because I think for so many people, we become like, not just into music, but obsessed with music right around that same formative time. It seems like 14, 15, thereabouts is when people, even if you've been exposed to music earlier or whatever, I feel like around that time is where people like that becomes like your existence. Like it becomes a soundtrack of of your life, whether or not you end up picking up an instrument. It's like, it's really, really important stuff. And I feel like you ask like most people, what they listen to now as adults Mm -hmm. and at least some of it stems from the stuff that really spoke to them when they were a teenager. Yeah. There's, there's been multiple studies on that and the majority of people, whatever they discover or like they end up like falling in love with when they're like in, you know, junior high, high school, like when they're ever their adolescence tends to be what they're most strongly uh, emotionally connected with as adults for the rest of their life. Cause usually like mm-hmm. when you're in, or in your teenagers, when you're starting to like develop as your own individual person, cause as a kid, you're kind of just like, Oh, and this is what my parents tell me. And like, you're kind of just like going off of what they're doing and saying, and like mm-hmm. you're parroting them. But around mm-hmm. adolescence is when, you, you know, you're, you're starting to realize, Oh, I can be my own person. What does that mm-hmm. mean? And you're exploring, you're like, Oh, what do I like? I do I actually like these, the things that like my parents have been like, shoving down my throat you know for my existence and you're like oh wait i've discovered that there's you know heavy metal i've discovered that there's jazz i've discovered that Mm -hmm. i really hate brussels sprouts or i really love brussels sprouts (laughs) 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 and it's just like there it's 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 a very uh enlightening time you know and depending on you know everybody's you know individual uh experiences sometimes it's an amazing experience because like you're like oh i'm i'm proud of what i'm discovering or sometimes it's really difficult because like you might have a mental health struggle that you're like i don't know what to do this is making everything difficult and i don't know how to like express myself so it, mm. it's a very it's a very pivotal uh moment in you know most people's lives and it, you kind of just you establish who you are going to be you know for mm. the rest of your life at that point and to and to the whole topic that you brought up today I mean, isn't music, music has got to be up there as one of the best co- coping mechanisms, period. Yeah. You know, music by itself, I always say it's got the best benefit to risk ratio out yeah. there. It's like if you're talking about something that has the power to like comfort you in a, in a dark time or an anxious time or a time where you're searching for something, uh, the power to bring unlikely people together or a sense of community or connection with people where there's not really much else in common and really the worst thing it can do and i'm taking off the table things like whether ozzy osbourne like encouraged you know what like i'm not counting people who are already really struggling and then pointing the finger somewhere else really i think the worst thing music can do for most people is not be your cup of tea and i think okay comfort connection community like all of these things versus i don't really like it i mean my gosh where where could we better turn it's it's such a beautiful thing and like music has been used as a a form of therapy in some way shape or form since the 1800s so literally over 100 years like people have been using it 
to like help people with with uh, psychosis, people who have lost the ability to speak somehow, and depending mm-hmm. on what's going on, they have they're able to sing still. People are able to like mm-hmm. you know who are dealing with Alzheimer's, like they hear a song from their childhood, they're like, oh my god, what's this? Or people who are dealing with like uh, inability to like move properly, they have like the shakes, they're still able to play the piano or the guitar like flawlessly, and like you said, it, it helps bring people together. It helps bring a sense of community you know look at woodstock you had like what half a million people congregate in one spot for three days in one of the most peaceful experiences like in human history you know regardless of the fact that the town of woodstock was just like trash because it had half a million people in it it's not built for that but like, <laughs> <laughs> it was a beautiful thing especially yeah. during the, the the era of the vietnam war where you had like one of the most uh I guess one of the most prolific uh, war events at that time, because it was the first televised war. It was the first time you know people were actually seeing what was going on in real time. Right, right. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible the 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 what a force for good music is. I think both collectively, you know, as as well as personally, you know, yeah. it's uh, I think it's something that that the world always can use more more of in the in the right way i agree 110 you percent. Know? i actually have yeah. a question for you we were talking about uh you 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 uh your writing process for abandon all hope was was a coping mechanism for you for that dark period mm-hmm. uh, do you feel that playing music and writing music has always been a coping mechanism for you throughout your life or uh was this moment this time in particular mm-hmm. just like ended up being a coping mechanism uh to a certain extent yes i remember learning you know through the typical heartbreaks we face as teenagers like where your first love dumps you and then you're like oh you know sad song. Um, well it wasn't so for me it's like i had just started so i wasn't writing at that point but what i learned and thank goodness i don't know how i figured this out that i i figured that going for a one hour run and practicing guitar for an hour that there was no level of darkness that that didn't at least improve i'm not saying that it made it better that, that i was like oh i don't care that my best friend and my boyfriend are now together i'm fine it wasn't that but it was still i found that like just the combination of the exercise just getting out some of the just the adrenaline and the negative feelings in in combination with sort of the focus that you have to have to practice well mm-hmm. gave me just an, just enough of a respite to sometimes get that little crack of perspective that sometimes can help you see the light of day when when things feel just insurmountably awful so i think i did i don't find myself motivated to practice when i feel bad but i have learned like with exercise or something that the benefit of sucking it up and doing it always means that on the other side, I'm always glad. I've never sat down and practiced guitar, came away from it and said, what a, what a waste. I wish I had done something. I wish I watched TV for that last hour. Like I've never once regretted the time that I put in to guitar. Well, never. Fantastic. I mean, what can we say that about? <laughs> like what else? I mean, fair enough. You know, the, you definitely, like, have those moments where you're like, ah, oh, man, I definitely should not have eaten that last pancake. But definitely not... Uh... Oh, all the time. <laughs> all, right here. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm full. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have that one more. It's like, uh, maybe that's not a good... 
we played a gig across the street from a place called Voodoo Donuts. Oh now, my I'm God. like a lifelong. Portland, right? Dante's. Yes. The, oh yes. God. In Portland. Okay. So I'm a vegan. I've been a vegan most of my life, meaning that I found that I have the self-control around vegan desserts that I, I mean, cause most of the time I'm like, oh, well, I'm just not gonna have that cake, you know, whatever. But I, I have like, te- I have teenage levels of self-control around vegan desserts. And I remember going over like all excited and being like, mm-hmm. okay, can I have, and I ordered like two or three donuts and the girl behind the counter is like, do you just want a half a dozen? I'm like, and I could just like see like this part of my brain being like, no, but my words were like, <laughs> yes. And then by and the next all, like, morning. Giant. Oh, and by the next morning, this didn't, I didn't wait a week to eat it. In 12 hours, I had eaten all of them. I mean, all it's totally them. like what you're supposed to do when you get food with donuts. Oh my God. It was so regrettable. Like I didn't want to have <laughs> I didn't want dessert for like a year after that. You end up getting the, uh, the Cap'n Crunch donut that they have. Oh God. I don't know if I have, but <laughs> I've seen it. I think oh, it looks so dangerous. It, it totally so is because like Cap'n Crunch will just like cut the roof of your mouth, but it's just, it's yes! diabetic heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Your pancreas is like, no. Oh, God. Totally worth it, though. You live once, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, huh. What was your question? How did I get, how did I turn whatever your insightful question was into a voodoo donuts binge? Uh, I have I no idea, know. but I'm totally okay with going off on like the voodoo donuts <laughs> tangent because voodoo donuts is fantastic. There's, a, oh, there's another donut uh chain up in portland i think it's called blue moon or blue star or something like that okay. they're they're i don't know if they're vegan um but i personally like those donuts more the, mm. the voodoo donuts are delicious and they're definitely above and beyond with like the crazy like creativity that they have but uh, mm-hmm. the blue moon or blue star whatever it is um they're just like higher level uh, uh. quality donuts and i'm not a big sweets guy just throwing that out there See, I'm not, I'm not typically a dessert person either. And in fact, the last time I was there, we played there actually pretty recently. Mm-hmm. I, I, like I sat my band down. I was like, you guys, can we just skip Voodoo Donuts? And everyone's like, yes, please <laughs> don't put them backstage. Somebody always goes and gets like a dozen, puts them backstage. And then everyone's like, no, we're going to eat them all. They're all on stage, just like laying down, playing. Totally, just what you want. <laughs> like, I know I'll have a sugar crash on stage. That'll make for a good show. Hello. Good night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat, Gretchen. Oh and, my gosh, absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah, and thank you for sharing some insight to uh, how you were able to take the, uh, you know, your, your writing process for Abandon All Hope and use it as a positive coping mechanism for, you know, definitely such a, a, a difficult uh, grieving period that you ended up going through. Mm, well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. It's something that a lot of times, you know, it, you can be hesitant to talk about or I can just because it's like a lot of times people just want to talk about, you know, the album, the guitars, whatever. And they don't think you're going to be like, we're going to talk about death, you know, and <laughs> grief. And yeah, I was like, wow, easy. I didn't sign up for that, you know, but um, but I appreciate it. I, th- I think anybody who's gone through a period of loss. Well, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else. I found that I appreciate being able to talk about it, that I think um, just as our joys are something that that binds us to humanity, so so do our sufferings. And 
Um, I think that especially now where people are so able to kind of create their own worlds on the social media of like, this is how great I look and this is how beautiful my food looks and this is how perfect my partner is and all of that. Um, to also, to be able to be real within a world that um, where artifice is kind of rewarded, I think is is really important. And I think it, it helps me um, in my, you know, having relationships and friendships with other musicians to be able to call each other and just say like, you know, one of my really good friends, Neely Brosh, do you know Neely? I do not know Neely. Neely Neely's amazing. She's one of my best friends. She plays with Danny Elfman now. Um, oh, that's incredible cool. guitar player. Um, and one of the things that we bonded on is like, you know, we'll call and we'll be, we'll be able to be like, dude, check out this troll comment I got. Like what an incredible jerk or, or here's this insecurity that I'm feeling as a guitar player that nobody's talking about. And, and so being able to, to share, you know, both, like I said, the accomplishments and the joys and stuff, as well as sort of the behind the scenes self-loathing that I think really permeates the the psyches of a lot of musicians is I think really, really helpful. So it's, I think it's great that you're doing this oh, well, and you. giving I, people the platform to talk about it. Yeah. I think, yeah, you know, just my personal perspective. I think that a lot of artists in general, whether it's musicians, guitarists, drummers, painters, sculptors, whatever, what have you, uh, I feel like artists tend to be a lot more in tune with their mm. feelings and that's how they're able to easily create things. But I don't, I think a lot of us, tend to have that difficulty just having a conversation as opposed to, you know, let me go write, you know, my magnum opus. And it's like, oh, but I don't really want to talk about it in an actual conversation. So I think, you know, uh, having these conversations and encouraging these conversations not only helps us like as individuals, but I think uh, opens up the platform to the people who are like looking up to us, people who are like following us, people who are like following along. They're like, oh, people that I admire are actually opening up and they feel the same way that I do. They've gone through similar things. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I truly believe that the more that like we open up uh, as a society and the more that we open up, you know, together, I think it's really going to do uh, a lot to help everybody. And I think it's going to do a lot of getting rid of the stigma that we have around around mental health and talking about it. Yeah, I think that's so important. And so um, such such a very timely thing right now, because I think even the people who are on the most stable of grounds mentally, it's like put people in isolation and unable to get out and really be social for two years. And even, even the stable ones are really, really feeling it. So um, we got to be able to talk about this. And, and furthermore, it that understanding helps us be kinder to one another. I mean, it's like, it does, you don't even have to scroll very far in the comments of any, you know, any comment section of, you know, whatever. Any social media them. platform. Exactly. And people are being horrible to each other. I mean, it's like, okay, so something's not your cup of tea. It's like, I don't know. Don't you just scroll past it if you don't like it? You know, it's like. It hit the ignore um, button and, so it doesn't show up again. Exactly, exactly. You know, um, and yet the level of, pain and suffering, you know, that you see in those comment sections and, and probably a lack of awareness of the effect that it can have on another human being, you know, it, it would just be, I think these types of conversations that you're encouraging, you know, hopefully will will have the ripple effect of spreading out so people can be kinder to themselves and kinder to other people. You know, uh, we're all fighting a secret battle, you know, that is true. So keeping fingers crossed that baby steps will lead to, you know, bigger, bigger progress.
Yes. So yes. Th thank you again, Gretchen, for taking thank the time to chat. Thank you so much. You're thank welcome. you. And thank you, everyone who's tuned into this episode. Uh, if anyone watching or listening finds that they are struggling with their mental health, please do not be afraid to reach out to your friends, family, or a mental health professional. I'll place a link in the description of this video that will have some information and connections to further resources. And until next time, remember, you always have the strength to conquer your battlefield. Thank you.